0: Well, this morning, we're uh, sort of continuing the series of Doctrine, Culture, and Life. It's a Q&A series where questions have been submitted, and I'm trying to pick out the ones that I think we need to handle now. Uh, if we don't get to a question that is on your heart, we may uh, suspend it to um, a future you know, series again where we pick this up at maybe mid-year or in the summer again. Uh, also... Uh, Next week we're going to be talking about a very sensitive topic and so I wanted to put that before us We're going to talk about the issue of androgyny and homosexuality So as parents if you want to uh, you know sort of have your kids um, Out of the service you can choose to do that or have them in the service and you're parentally guiding them That's fine as well But I just want to put that on your radar that it's a very sensitive issue But it's one that's not going away and it is part of our church culture and our uh, country's culture so it's important for us to approach it biblically and be like Christ as we approach that issue but this morning we're talking about living in a dot-com world I borrowed that from a book that was written 10 years ago very prophetic about where we find ourselves today in what one person called the media sphere we got media all over us all the time and it's almost like if you were born in the 1990s you didn't know any different because this explosion has just become more and more expansive. In sort of child psychology tests, they talk about how children are using the opposite side of their brain now that's more video oriented and they're experiencing some effects in terms of their ability to sustain attention these days because of how much media is there. But that doesn't just you know, sort of locate this to the children. This is what we're all dealing with. As we have iPhones, and I enjoy my iPhone, we have computers, I enjoy my computer, we have flat screens, we have TVs, we have media around us all the time. I, in fact, went to uh, the mall last night uh, with a couple of my kids to go buy a model airplane for my 11-year-old son so I could work on something that's not just a video game or media. But in the midst of buying that, I was just, you know, completely, um, you know, around media. There was like an onslaught of media that's out there and you have to make a decision every time you look at it to how to discern whether or not you should keep looking at it or look away, right? This is something that is aggressive. It is something that is, yea, verily predatory in our lives and it's out there. The side columns when you pull up the World Wide Web are the advertisements that pay for a lot of the information that's on the web. But those side advertisements are hooks oftentimes to try to hook our flesh to feed where we ought not feed. It's the media sphere. Children today or people in general spend between seven and nine hours engaged in some form of media. Listening to music watching things, experiencing things. You're experiencing media right now, but there are all kinds of media that's out there. The only comparable thing that we experience in that kind of sustained regularity is like seven or eight hours of sleep, if you get that. But it's, it's just part of our world and we have to learn how to discern it. One author put it this way, and I read him this week, his book um, on my iPhone, you know, No pun intended, but I did sort of do it deliberately. I got a Kindle download and put it on my phone and enjoyed highlighting on my phone and using that as a tool to get this sermon together. It's a book called The Next Story by Tim Challies, a blogger, and he's a very good Christian blogger that you should um, avail yourself of. It's called The Next Story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. And what he does is he compares since 1971 to now, he compares a, an explosion that's happened in technology to an explosion that happened 10 years prior in 1961. And that was the Russians dropping the Tsar bomb or the Tsar bomba, the king of all bombs, right? And they did that sort of as a publicity stunt to sort of show the power that they could exert. And it's been uh, documented as the most massive explosion that's ever been um, done. And when it exploded in the Arctic Circle above Russia, there was a 7.1 shockwave that went around the circumference of the world three times, 7.1 on the Richter scale. It leveled the island that the bomb was dropped on to where it was like an ice skating rink. It went from mountains and wilderness to just flat and eerily sort of uh, abandoned wasteland of just flat, completely even ice. In other words, the terrain was different forevermore. There was sort of a massive 34,000-foot fireball, and there was a seven times higher than Mount Everest plume of smoke, and then suddenly everything was different forever. And that's what Tim Challies is saying as an analogy to our media experience. It's kind of like we're all Rip Van Winkle rubbing the sleep out of our eyes, looking around going, wow aren't we plugged in in a way that we've never been plugged in to our computers, to our TVs, to our iPods, to our iPhones than ever before. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of naivete that's going on with uh, this media sphere. Uh, I don't know, and I'm not gonna take a survey, but a lot of you have probably given your children or young teenagers iPhones or media phones, and perhaps you might not even know the computer piece that you have put in their hands. That thing, and you know, jokingly, if I ever want to know how to do something, I just get my 11-year-old to show me, right? But that thing is a powerful tool and it's an instrument that's a window into the depths of the world. Everything from beautiful, incredible, renaissance and godly um, information to the depths of Sodom and Gomorrah can come out of that instrument. It's a tool different than a hammer, different than a saw, different than, you know, something that's like a rake. This is a tool that's got like image of God thinking and agenda behind it. You got to be aware of it. This is, this is a, a person's fingerprint and soul coming through this device that indoctrinates children, teens and adults one way or the other all the time. And so I want us to sort of look at this topic through 1 John and John, this elder apostle's eyes from 1 John chapter 2. It was read at the top of the hour by Pastor Leo Masters. He's come on full time beginning this fall and we're so thankful for him and that he has finished his doctorate. So be sure to congratulate um, Leo Masters on that. But um, it was read earlier, 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17. Let me begin by reading verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, all right, answering the question. Here's the question. How can believers engage media without conforming to it or being contaminated by it? Because by the way, we're not going back. I mean, we're not gonna... Join a monastery or, or go away from this, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to isolate ourselves from the media explosion. It is what it is. So how do we approach this and live in this media sphere without being conformed to it or contaminated by it? Well, I chose First John because John, as an apostle, at the end of his life, paints with some really broad strokes and some really stark um, counsel. He gives, you know, you're one way or the other. You're either following Christ or you're following the Antichrist. You're either a son of Cain or you're a son of God. You're, you're either repenting or you're just lying about your sin. I mean, he's just black and white. And I think we need to be sort of shocked into how to think biblically with First John. So he says, and a lot of people don't want to take this at face value. Hey, don't love the world. You're not allowed to love the world. It's, it's out of bounds for you to give your heart to the world. And, and if you do that, if you're someone who does that, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow, what does that mean? That means that you're not a Christian is what he's saying. Just straight up, straightforward, he's saying, you don't love God if you're given over to loving the world. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and love living for money or living for your flesh. It's not they're incongruent with each other. It says verse uh, and my first point there is allow scripture to speak into your world. We got to we got to open our hearts and say okay God, speak to me. I mean, I've got the media. I'm 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 hooked up. But I need the scripture to speak into my life. Secondly, got to allow scripture to diagnose your root issues we got to dig deep here we're not talking about just being a separatist we're talking about thinking through your heart and whether or not media is an idol in your life that you're worshiping so verse 2 allow scriptures to diagnose scripture to diagnose your root issues for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the father, but is from the world. still drawing the lines here. And then verse 17, our last point, allow scripture to override and to define your cravings. We've all want something. We're all reaching for something. We're looking for satisfaction in our hearts. And verse 17 says this, and the world is passing away Along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Saying look you got to give something up in your heart. You got to be willing to let the world go. As a Christian. Because the world is going. It's going to burn up. It's not going to be it. Technology will burn. This version of media. This atmosphere that we're living in. Will go away. And so value the father more than media. That's that's what we're talking about. Value the Father more than the world's teachings. Now, let me just go back to the top of the outline. Number one, allow scripture to speak into your world. The key is to define the world here. What are we talking about? You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God loves the cosmos. That's the literal word there. He loves the world. In other words, he he loves his creation. He called it very good in Genesis 131. Look down upon it. Psalm Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says the heavens declare the glory of God. So God's glory is spoken through creation. Psalm 24 talks about how this is our father's world. Everything in it is his to possess. He created it. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the world in the sense that Satan's ideas dominate this world after the fall of sin. That's what he's talking about. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter four. And he's not so obvious to us because there are great things about our world. There are things we enjoy all the time, but you gotta look beneath the surface and realize that there are ideologies and agendas that Satan is promoting at every turn. He's trying to get us to think in a way that's not to love God first. He wants first place. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Paul said, look, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against who? Raised up against the knowledge of God. And Paul said, we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know what Paul was saying there? He wasn't talking about dealing with personal temptation as a lot of people interpret that verse and apply it. He wasn't talking about taking your own thoughts captive. He's talking about, look, I'm coming to town with a biblical sword and I'm going to rip down Satan's thinking. He says we're destroying speculations, lofty things, fortresses that are raised up against God's knowledge. And we're taking those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. It's gloves off time with these satanic ways that people think. Hey, let's just be passive in our parenting. You know, they'll just take care of themselves. We can't really fight this, you know, media thing. Just just give out the media like candy and just let it go and let it take care of itself. That would be satanic. That would be loving the world, forgetting about your child's soul, just being passive on the job and saying, you know, I'm just going to take time on the media more than doing my job like I need to working heartily unto the Lord. That's satanic thinking. And satanic thinking is not just the occult, you know, overt satanic worship. Satanic thinking is idolatry. It's worshiping things, worshiping pleasures, worshiping yourself more than God. So you've got to define the world in that way. Richard Niebuhr wrote a great book on it 50 years ago talking about Christ and culture. And is Christ, you know, is you supposed to approach it in culture or above culture? You're supposed to separate yourself from culture. Is Christ to transform the culture? And really the answer to that book is it's all of the above. It's a very complicated issue. But we need to understand that as we approach our culture that the world is dominated. It is pervaded with wrong ways to think and we can't be passive about it point two that I brought up allow scripture to diagnose your root issues really the battle is won and lost in the heart it is this is a heart battle I'm going to talk at the end of our time about some practical advice with media to you Um, but really I, I just want to point this out to you the battle is won and lost and waged in your heart it's in what you value It's not what goes into your mouth, Jesus said, that is defiling you. It's what comes out. It's it's the sin that's the enemy within that we still have to fight against. You know, click back to, speaking of media, click back to Sundays to a sermon I preached on the enemy that's within us. And we have to see that enemy and meet it head on. Eve and Adam failed the test when Satan tempted with three pathways, right? The lust of, it's what's listed here in verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possession. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. It's always those three things that Satan is using. And oh, how he can use that with media. You know, um, say that, hey, this thing I'm dangling in front of you will satisfy your flesh. It'll feed your hunger, it'll feed your appetite. And then he goes through the eye gate. Look, look at it, you know, get mesmerized by it. And then realize, think that you're invincible in the pride of life and just go for it. That's what Satan did to Eve in Genesis three. You remember the story? Eve doing the thing you're never supposed to do, which is dialogue with the devil. And she's dialoguing with the devil and the devil basically lays out the temptation to say, look, God is holding out on you. He's not giving you everything. Tell me about this tree that you can't eat. Tell me about the fruit that you're, fruit that you're not supposed to eat or even touch as she added that to you know, God's rules there. You know, Let me talk about how you'll be like a God. You'll be able to control your world if you just go for it. So the temptation stream, these three pathways in verse six are exposed. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is the lust of the flesh through the eye gate, but she's saying, this will make me feel good. Uh, It'll feed my flesh and that it was a delight to the eyes. So she locked in with her eyes on that and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, as my kids say, She failed, right? I mean, she failed at that point and plunged our world into sin. Now, Jesus makes this right in Luke chapter four, because the same temptations are leveled at him in Luke chapter four. It's also Matthew chapter four. But if you want to look at Luke four again, Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry, so Satan tempts him, external temptation, lust of the flesh. Turn the stones to bread. Jesus quotes scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. Then he shows him the kingdoms of this world to to say, look, look at all that you could have if you just bow down to me. Jesus said, look, you worship the Lord your God alone. Then he takes him to the top of the pinnacle and says, look, if you, he quotes scripture at Jesus and says, if you go down, the angels won't let you dash your against a stone and Jesus said listen you don't put the Lord God to the test be gone and so he conquered those three external temptations with the word of God with thinking right how are you going to conquer your temptations I mean in essence just coming to church is a step because so many people have sort of you know church options on in the media right YouTube church, you know, trying to get church through different means that you say, look, I don't need to go to church because I have this, but just by coming to church and stopping to meditate on scripture, to engage your mind in the word of God is a way for you to get some air above this onslaught of media. Let me just stop though. I wanna, I wanna tell you that I, I love media at the same time I mean I I see the temptations of the world that's dominated by Satan but I use media all the time and I enjoy it I enjoy being able to compile sermons and material and have access to so many things that I wouldn't have if I didn't use media I enjoy that I told you I read my first book on media on my iPhone that I possess I don't have it in my pocket right now but I do enjoy that tool but you got to be careful at the same time. You got to look at these lusts. Remember the third point allow Scripture to override and define your. Cravings. That word lust is used twice in verse 16. It's the word desire. And that word is used 38 times negatively in the New Testament compared to two positive uses. And it's just, just, I'm just saying by that, we are fighting a battle against our natural desires, verse 16 and then verse 17, these desires which are ultimately going to pass away. All right, let me give you a little history. I want to sort of give us a little bit of a a talk about media and what we potentially, what we gain and then what we lose. What What do we sacrifice is where I'm headed in terms of being overtaken by media. If we ignore 1 John and just let let go and let media take over what are we sacrificing what are we giving up that's kind of where i'm headed this morning first of all the media explosion it's upon us where did he come from well some people would say it goes all the way back to you know the technology that was invented um, in two second century bc the chinese abacus you know the first computer with beads I mean, these are good things. These are good tools to be able to compute and, and to use technology to gain things. But then, in 1436, Johannes Gutenberg invented what was called the printing press, which is movable type. So all of a sudden, this Roman Catholic from way back when created a way for the Bible to be copied over and over and multiplied, to be put in the, the common man's hands, and so you had the Reformation at that point, the Protestant Reformation that was spawned by movable type and then in our country the steam engine was invented in the 1800s and suddenly time um, You know was sort of we were gaining time by being able to move faster than a horse for the first time in our history say, why is all this important? Well, it's just technology, and it's amazing how it was moving along through the centuries, but now it's moving just more and more rapidly in the takeover because in 1844, this man named Samuel Morse, a Christian man who was an artist, also an inventor, created the telegraph. And so the first thing that he telegraphed through the wires was Numbers 23-23, what God hath wrought. So for the first time, once we had telegraph communication, we were able to know things from state to state in our country the same day. It's the first time that was ever possible. It was called the, it's been called the Victorian Internet because India could now talk to Australia. Somebody in New York could be concerned about something that was happening in Dallas, Texas for the first time because of the telegraph. Well, this has just picked up speed because in 1971, there was something that was born and that was called the microprocessor. And microprocessors begin to get smaller and smaller and go into calculators, go into phones, go into cars and go into computers to where now we have devices that basically are all in one in our pockets that can potentially consume us that we can become addicted to. I read one article that talked about how people live for the beep in their pocket, right? Because when there's a beep or a bong, then all of a sudden you have an email. And that email might be somebody that loves you and you want to check it right now. And then you want to see, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing with my job right now? Because that email is hitting me at 6 p.m. and I'm home, but I got to go to it. And the guy said that that dynamic is like the dopamine squirt that's happening in your brain where you get this little high from the beep that goes from your pocket. Sounds like addictive behavior, doesn't it? You know, workaholism. I mean, that, that stuff is just, you know, spawned by this, by this activity that we find ourselves a part of. It's important for us to understand that this benefit you know what are the benefits of media Uh, its speed its exposure its access its info its connectivity its opportunities its productivity that's all positive but it has to be held in biblical balance because there are dangers in the media and I want to just say that I, I think that it's very possible and I'll put myself out there, you know, as, as a worshiper. We're all worshipers. It's very possible that we are all being swept into the temptation to worship media more than God. So I put it out there. I mean, what, what do we pay for? What do we invest our time in? And yeah, I know we have to work and use media and that's fine. But in terms of where we're finding our rest, where we're finding our hope, where we're finding our joy, we have to be careful to find it in God and not in self. Because the issue is that we can make things into an idol. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way, said that anything that we value more than God is an idol. If it's more than God, if it beats God in our affections, it's an idol. think about it just if it's captivating your imagination more than god it's an idol i I was sitting with friends that i introduced you to last week the cross family and and uh, Amy was was talking to me in the kitchen um, last week, like, what are you going to preach this week? And I was telling her about it, and, and I was looking at my kids, and they're playing video games, and they're starting to, like, you know, f- fight with each other over, you know, who's winning. And, you know, they're living this sort of virtual life through, you know, Lego, Star Wars, or whatever, and they're beating each other up um, in the computer game, but they're beginning to get mad at each other on the couch. And I said, well... I'm preaching on that right there that that's what I'm preaching on and and so then I go over and I said You know if I don't address the hearts that are engaged in that warfare there on the couch Then I'm just a hypocrite in terms of what I'm getting ready to preach on and so I had to take one of my children Away out of the fight out of the fray and deal with that child's heart That's what we're talking about we're talking about dealing with our own hearts and our own affections and dealing with our children's hearts in terms of media. Because you don't want them to love the world that's passing away. And not love the father who's here and beyond. That's it. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about dealing with idols. Isaiah 44 talks about idolatry. And it's a great thing to read it. It's where... God is mocking idolatry saying look you know you got this block of wood that's lifeless can't see can't hear can't speak and you burn um, you know you burn it for physical heat and warmth and you burn it to make your food that you're eating and then you take the rest of that wood make it into an idol and bow down and worship it and say wow you're God. And we laugh at that, but that is exactly what we are prone to do with stuff and things that we value to feed our hearts more than God. So what we're talking about. There is an idol that, that uh, actually something that was a very good thing that turned into an idol is very interesting to look at in 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah, the good king in the southern kingdom in Judah, was tearing down idols, tearing down Baal worship, tearing down shrines to Ashereth. And then he broke apart a bronze spear with a serpent on it. You know what that bronze spear with the serpent on it was? That was the pole that God told Moses to construct when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, straying from God, and they were being killed by fiery serpents. Look to the bronze serpent that's held up high, right? Sort of the symbol with, I think, the red cross. Anyway, that was something that Hezekiah began to diagnose that even though it was a good thing back then, it was a relic, and it was actually a symbol of Jesus dying on the cross. John 3.14 talks about how just like the bronze serpent was raised up, Jesus said he would be raised up. I mean, there was a lot of theological goodness there, a lot of great things, but they were beginning to name that idol and bow down to it and worship it and give to it. And so Hezekiah broke it apart. Sometimes we've got to take some radical action with our media. I mean, just to give some practical tips right now, maybe we need to, you know, set up some parameters and think, you know, I'm only going to check email at this point or I'm cutting my phone off at this point for these hours and then I'll re-engage at this point. I mean, we don't want to fall prey to idolatry. It's one thing to use a tool. It's another thing for a tool to begin to use you who controls whom that's the question to ask well when you look at the idea of media religion living virtually it's almost like a form of gnosticism and i'm do going to get too philosophical or esoteric out there but there are people who are saying look i can sort of live virtually i can fight you know enemies virtually without getting out there i can go hunt virtually i can do this virtually you know i can sort of go across the world virtually. And there's this sort of subtle temptation to become godlike in your own mind where you say, you know, look, I've got... I'm free from physical limitations. And so I'm just going to experience my life through my mind without my physical experience. Timothy Leary, he was this drug guru from the 60s who was a Harvard professor and psychiatrist who would, who would uh, sort of tamper with LSD when it was legal back then. In the 90s when he was dying and sort of the media explosion had hit, he put himself on digital camera for people to watch him potentially die or, you know, Whatever, and he was saying that in that time he was trying to download his mind onto the internet so it would be eternal. There are forms of sort of self-worship where you're where you like him in smaller ways can invest yourself into the media sphere in a way that you isolate yourself and lose personal contact with what really matters. It's kind of the the idea of the the matrix or or Avatar, that movie where it's like, you know, I, I, I'm physically limited, but I'm not going to stop, let that stop me. I'm going to take myself into new heights of, you know, sort of spirituality and living in a way that isn't physical where I'm hampered by things anymore. You remember the pastor, John Newton, who wrote the, the song Amazing Grace? In the 1700s, he, when he was 19, was forced and pressed into a slave trader um, group and was put on one of those slave trading ships back then. And he sort of apostatized from the faith and left his parents' Christian teaching at that point. And he talked about when they would leave the Mediterranean and go around the rock of Gibraltar, which is at the mouth of the Mediterranean, around Spain, down towards Africa, when they would do that, it was like when you go around the rock of Gibraltar, you're free. Free from accountability. Now you can do whatever you want to do to these slaves. You can, you can bring them in. You can rip them away from their families. There can be rape on board. There can be all these awful things that happen on the ship. Guess what? The internet for some of you is like the rock of Gibraltar. As soon as I go there, I'm free. I'm out of of morality, I'm out of my physical accountability because I'm isolated, I'm on my own. I'm out to fly and do whatever I wanna do. That's what we have to contend with, to say no to this idol. This idol is not our eternal life. This is not worth putting our soul in jeopardy over. You've gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then you got to love people, not just virtual people, but physical people. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like? What does it look like to, to live the cost of discipleship and to bear the cross for Christ with people? I mean, this is convicting to me. I'm telling you, I'm beating myself up at the same time. Whether, whether you know it or not, We have a built-in atmospheric distraction from living in community with people, with valuing people's souls. It's important. So we've talked about benefits, we're talking about dangers, media religion, now let's just talk about media worship a little bit. You know, we can find ourselves filled in dependence of media, where we, we are constantly in need of communication, owned by media. We're we're dishonest. There's a temptation to be dishonest on media where you're one person in real life, but really you paint yourself to be somebody entirely different in another. Speaking of being controlled by media, reminds me of a story of where a a boy was texting in high school and the teacher said, you can't do that. And as soon as he was called and reprimanded down for that, he began to text about being reprimanded by his teacher. But he did it involuntarily, just did it automatically because you can get consumed, you can become isolated. We've talked about that, become superficial. We're so transparent about you know everything in our life now, right? Everybody around the world knows everything that's going on because of our Facebook account. But really, we're more superficial than ever before. There are studies out there that say that kids these days, because of being so media, you know, socialized, they don't know how to have a conversation with someone eyeball to eyeball anymore. So just important things for us to see and know. We're finding satisfaction through media. Sometimes it's not even real or authentic in control. Um, There are many men and, and women who are controlled by pornographic media, right? like you feel like you you can have whatever you want when you want it now and that's the control of the media but it's not the media's fault God's going to hold you accountable it's your heart that is ultimately accountable before God he's not going to condemn the media when you stand before him in judgment he's going to look at your own heart and but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins we would all immediately be sent to hell but there is grace even for those of you who are ensnared and perhaps this is a wake-up call to say look i need help i need help and physical eyeball to eyeball accountability for me to get out from under the crush of ensnarement where you've been bowing down and worshiping the world and your own flesh a lot to be said, what can be sacrificed because of media? Let's just talk about this real quick. What's sacrificed because of media? Well, number one, your spiritual life can be sacrificed. And here's a practical step. Here's a good test. How much time do I spend in front of media compared to time with the Lord? You go, well, are we talking about you know legalism or legalistic categories here? Well, I'm just saying in terms of putting good things in your life in front of you compared to nominal, neutral, or negative things. Like, for instance, this is good media right here. You need the Word of God. And it's important to meditate on the Word of God. Not just to read it, but to let it hit your heart. It's important. We're commanded to meditate day and night. Psalm 1 talks about being like a tree by the stream because you meditate Day and night. Meditation is like counterintuitive to what media says for you to do. It says, look, multitask. You know, I can set you up to roll and conquer and get a lot more done. Well, Solomon, who was the king of Israel, memorized 3,000 proverbs. That's what it says in First Kings 4.32. You can check me out. You can dial it up on your iPhone real quick and see. I mean, 3,000 proverbs. But that took mental discipline to think, to engage. We're called to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Just think about that. We have a lot of live streaming that's going on around us all the time. And that's sort of a negative metaphor of what we should be doing where we're constantly in prayer consciousness before our Lord, praying to Jesus, asking him for help, breathing and praying, breathing and praying as a Christian where you are engaged with God and God is getting you through your day, not your Media Used to be sweetness to the soul our spiritual life can become shallow when we become so linked and locked with media Now I want to talk about another thing we sacrifice and that is relationships with people uh, Christianity is all about being with people And I think that, you know, some people say, well, you know, the church in Alaska or Anchorage is a little bit more disjointed because everybody's into isolation and we're all up here and whatever. All right, fine. But that's pretty superficial. I I think the reason people don't get with people and the reason we don't memorize names, and the reason we don't get involved in people's lives is because we're giving ourselves over to being distracted in our own worlds. And Christianity is a movement of togetherness. It is. It's all about being together. It's about knowing people and being known by people. That's the heartbeat of Christianity. Paul said in Romans 1.11, I long to see you. He wrote a lot of epistles while he was in prison and his heart would just break because he'd want to be with people. I was with that friend that I introduced you to last week, Bill Cross, and we spent eyeball to eyeball time together and it just is different than just when you're on the phone i know that you know we, we we need to be on the phone with people we need to be facebooking with people we need to be connecting with people but that's one level and there's a level deeper where you need to get close to people like their family members because that is christianity it's togetherness philippians 1 8. Paul said, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection, the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a longing to be together. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. He saw when he couldn't get with people as a satanic hindrance important to be with people we, we should be setting our lives up to be with people 2nd Timothy 1 4 he's in prison he's going to be killed he says as I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy here's a question at your deathbed what do you want around you You want your iPhone laptop big screen TV and your you know Mac pad do you want that around you or do you want the people that you loved here on earth around you Hopefully the answer is apparent, you want your people. You want people, you want personal touch with people. That's Christianity. When they had all things in common in Acts 2, when they were breaking bread together, what we're about to do, that was about together. That word together is over and over and over again used in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, don't forsake, the assembling together is somewhere in the habit of doing, but I encourage you all the more as you see the day approaching to come together to spur each other on to love and good deeds. It's people. It's irreplaceable. There's sort of this lie that, you know, we can replace the personal touch with, me, with media. And it's subtle because, you know, it's sort of the tyranny of the urgent and our jobs, and our workplace. I mean, we're filled with media. But I think we need to crowd out some of the media with what Christ says that we are to value most of all. Meditation. Stopping. Taking time. I mean, Jesus was busy. People were coming after him, right? Heal my son. Heal my daughter. Do this. Do that. And then he would have to go away for all night and pray. To get alone with his heavenly father so we've got to crowd out and balance in our relationship with God and we have to crowd out some media and balance in relationships with people and we've got to shepherd our children's souls let me repeat the first John points allow scriptures to speak into your world allow scripture to diagnose your root issues allow scripture to override and define your cravings got to crowd in and it it takes discipline I you know I sit with my twins with a book that we sell out there it's a bible story book about Jesus and you know I I do it pretty faithfully and then there's times where I meet with my 11 year old boy and we go through a, a discipline of godliness book together and I do that some I don't do it enough but you know what it's the most important thing I can do right just think about it. it's the most meaningful thing for their lives i can do is share jesus with them that's it and so we have to talk about media there's one form of media that we can't live without and that is our mediator between god and man jesus christ can't live without the word as it's written and we can't live about live without the word who came in flesh 2000 years ago first Timothy 2, 5, and 6, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus who paid our ransom debt on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can share in love the feast that's...